As we go to open God's word together, let's ask him to bless it to us. Let's pray together. Our Father in heaven, the unfolding of your words gives light. It imparts understanding to the simple. We open our mouths and pant because we long for your commandments. Turn to us and be gracious to us, as is your way with those who love your name. Make your face shine upon your servants and teach us your word. In Christ's name we pray and all God's people said, Amen. Please be seated. And please turn with me in God's word to the book of Matthew chapter 28. Matthew 28. And we're going to read together the Great Commission. So the last few verses of Matthew's gospel. Matthew chapter 28 verses 16 through 20. And we'll consider that along with our lesson from the Heidelberg Catechism this evening. So Matthew 28 beginning our reading at verse 16 and reading through the end of the chapter. And let's pay careful attention, for this is God's own word. Now when the eleven disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain to which Jesus had directed them, and when they saw him, they worshipped him, but some doubted. And Jesus came and said to them, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. Thus far the reading of God's word, may he bless it to us. I said earlier that it's our practice to think about the Heidelberg Catechism in our evening services, Um, And it's not because we put the catechism on the same level as God's word, uh, but we know it is a helpful teaching tool for us to understand what is in God's word, uh, to help us understand these things. It was written to help instruct children and instruct people who are new to the faith about the fundamentals of the faith and to put the teaching of God's word in a way that would be easier for God's people to understand. And hopefully as we go through the catechism, we can see what a valuable teaching tool it is uh, for us to understand the fundamentals of the faith, to be led into a knowledge of the truth of God, and to get the privilege of hearing how the truth of God's word is explained in simple ways. Um, we've, We've noted that the general pattern of the catechism is to follow the outline of the book of Romans, Uh, which proceeds to talk about guilt, grace, and gratitude, or sin, salvation, and service. And we're in that salvation, that grace section of the catechism as we consider things together. Um, And I say all of this by way of reminder to continue to help orient us to where we are uh, in our study and to remind us of that structure and what the catechism is trying to do. Um, In this section so far, we've looked at the accomplishment of our redemption, how that redemption is accomplished by Christ our mediator who comes to pay the debt we could not pay to satisfy the wrath of God in our place uh, so that our debt is paid off so that we can escape the wrath of God so that his righteousness is ours so that we can return to favor with God. The wonderful good news of that redemption accomplished in Christ. And whenever we talk about the accomplishment of redemption, we always then move on to talk about the application of it. How what Jesus did in his work on the cross becomes mine. Um, And so last week we talked about true faith. Uh, That's how what Christ accomplished on the cross becomes mine. And we thought a little bit about what true faith is. Uh, Our study last week was really to learn about the character of faith. 
uh, to know what faith is. That's a word we use a lot in Christian circles, but it's important that we understand what we mean by that word, that we are able to distinguish what characterizes true faith. Um, We talked about those things that characterize true faith. That's not only a sure knowledge by which I hold as true all that God has revealed to us in his word, it's also a wholehearted trust. But some of the essential features of faith is to know what God has taught in his word, to agree that those things are true, uh, and to trust them. Uh, And to recognize that that faith that's described in question 21 of the Catechism does not come to us because we have worked it up in ourselves, It comes to us as God's gift to us. It's actually what God has worked in me by the Holy Spirit through the gospel. Uh, That faith is this wonderful gift by which we take hold of Christ and all of his benefits. To know that God has freely granted not only to others but to me also forgiveness of sins, eternal righteousness, and salvation. That these gifts are purely of grace and only because of Christ's merit. Those are important things to understand about the character of our faith, to understand what faith is. And what the catechism is now going to do is move to the content of our faith. That's the character of true faith, what it does. What is the content of our faith? What do we put our trust in? Um, How do we summarize that content? That's the very next question that the catechism asks after what is true faith. What then must a Christian believe? That's an important question too, isn't it? What is the content of our faith? What are we called to believe in? Um, And we talk about that we are called to believe all that is promised to us in the gospel, a summary of which is taught us in the articles of our Catholic, undoubted Christian faith. By Catholic, we don't mean Roman Catholic. By Catholic, we mean universal, the way that that word traditionally means the universal church that God has had with all people in all places at all times. Um, But that can be summarized by the Apostles' Creed. We think that's a helpful summary of what is promised to us in the gospel. Um, That's why we recite it every week as our confession of faith. So that we're reminded every week of the promises that are made to us in the gospel. The content of our faith. And we're going to spend a lot of time, Lord willing, looking at the content of our faith. uh, Looking at what we've been instructed to believe. Um, We spend a lot of time going through the Apostles' Creed uh, in the Heidelberg Catechism. Um, We're going to begin that look tonight at what what is the the summary. How can we start to wrap our minds around how to summarize the gospel? Uh, Because summaries are important. Summaries really do help us understand things better. right? You know if someone understands something, if they can summarize it for you. Um, If they can make it clear... Uh, what is contained somewhere, then you know you really understand it. Um, and we, we do that all the time. If we were to summarize the law of God, right? if someone asked you, what is the law of God? You could summarize it a number of different ways. Uh, you could make a one commandment summary of the law of God. Be perfect as your heavenly Father is perfect. That's a summary of the law. Um, Jesus looked back to Deuteronomy and gave a two commandment summary of the law. Love the Lord your God with all your heart and soul and mind and strength. Love your neighbor as yourself. These these two commandments uh, are summaries of the law. 
Um, you could do a Ten Commandment summary of the law. And the more you stretch it out, the more clear it becomes, the more you've filled in the details. Uh, but we know that those kinds of summaries can be very helpful to help us understand these things. We know how to summarize the law. Can we summarize the gospel? Uh, that's really what the Apostles' Creed is doing for us, giving us a helpful summary of what is promised to us in the gospel. So we're going to begin a long study of the content of our faith this evening. Uh, really, this spans from the second half of Lord's Day 7 all the way through Lord's Day 22. Uh, questions 22 to 58 of the Catechism are really all about understanding the content of our faith. Uh, that's why I took the time to make kind of a longer introduction to the sermon, um, because we are going to really introduce this big section of the Catechism we're going to spend quite a bit of time on. And we do that because of the reasons that Jesus gave his disciples in the Great Commission about what Christ wanted the church instructed regarding the things that he had told them to observe and how that Great Commission influences why we spend all of this time teaching in the church and trying to make sure that we get right what Christ has left us uh, for our good and to follow his command. So we want to think about Lord's Day 8 this evening, particularly in light of the Great Commission, and we want to think about three things together. We want to think about the focus of our commission. We want to think about the fundamentals of our faith. And we want to think about the foundation of our confession. And that's how we want to look at this passage this evening. The focus of our commission, the fundamentals of our faith, and the foundation of our confession. Uh, what is the focus of our commission? We read from words that were very familiar. Maybe for many of us, all I had to do was say, we're going to read from the Great Commission, and you already knew what was there. I hardly needed to read it to you. You were sure you knew what was there. Uh, it's described always as the Great Commission. That's the heading that's in our Bibles. Uh, the Great Commission that tells us what Jesus left as instructions to the church. He's sending out his apostles who are going to be called to build up his church, and he gives them their marching orders. And it's always worthwhile, I think, to go and think about the components of this commission, how this commission comes to the disciples, how this commission comes to the world. Uh, what, what important things do we need to understand about this commission? Well, the first thing we need to understand is that it comes from Christ's royal authority, right? We don't want to just begin the Great Commission with, go therefore and make disciples. It begins before that with these assuring words from the Lord Jesus Christ, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. These are the words of the king coming to his disciples. These are the words of one who now has been given by his father authority over everything. Um, and that means that we should listen to what he has to say. He is the eternal king over heaven and earth, and these are the commands he is issuing for his kingdom, for his kingdom workers to go out and make his kingdom known. When Jesus begins that way, it's clear that this is not a suggestion. Jesus is not giving tips for how to run the church. Um, Jesus is speaking with all of that kingly authority to tell us what we are to do in his name in the world. Um, and because it comes from him and comes from his authority, the church is being given a great responsibility. 
Uh, the church is being given a great responsibility to carry out the commission of the king in the world. This, this commission is not given to Caesar. This commission is not given to the great noble people of the world. The movers and shakers as the world counts them. Um, it's been given to 11 guys who even at this point still have their doubts and are being told to go to the ends of the earth and bring the message of the kingdom, the good news of the gospel, to the ends of the earth. This is a great responsibility. I remember reading something in seminary saying, you know, if you're going to be entrusted to preach the gospel, you're about to be entrusted with the most weighty thing that can be entrusted to a person. Samuel Miller, addressing Princeton Seminary in 1824, said this to seminary students at the beginning of the year, Beloved pupils, be it your study at all times to cherish a deep sense of your solemn responsibility to God and His church. In a little while you will be among those to whom the most weighty interests that can be committed to man will be entrusted. Be faithful to your high trust. Guard with utmost vigilance the church's orthodoxy. Nothing can be truly right where her doctrinal principles are essentially wrong. It's a great responsibility. We have seminary students here. It's a great responsibility to be entrusted with the gospel. We have ministers here. It's a great responsibility to be entrusted with the gospel. Our elders here are to make sure that the gospel is faithfully proclaimed from the pulpit. It's a great responsibility because if we don't do it, no one else will. Uh, There's nowhere else that this commission is given in the world and there's certainly no one else who will do it if the church will not. It's a great responsibility to bring the good news of the kingdom to the world. Um, This is the charge we have been given by our king to see to it that this word is to be brought. But that should also be a great comfort. Because who has spoken? Who has given this commission? It's the one who has all authority in heaven and on earth. He's not lacking in authority. He's not lacking in power when he gives this command. Um, It comes with the full force of everything he is as king. Um, It really is one of my pet peeves when people talk as if the church in this world is weak. Um, Now, certainly we have a lot of problems in the church. We are not strong in and of ourselves. But as we go into the world under the commission of the king who has all authority in heaven and on earth, he is the real power in this world. All other powers in this world pale in comparison to the power of that king. Who can speak his voice and the hills melt. Right? Who he can touch the mountains and they smoke. That's power. The church does not lack power in this world. It doesn't lack authority in this world. Sometimes it lacks the faith to believe that the Lord is who He is and our commission is what it is. Um, That's the only way 11 guys standing there could have thought, how are we going to bring the gospel to the ends of the earth? There's 11 of us. Shouldn't there be more of us if that's our call? Or shouldn't we at least have planes or something so we can get to the ends of the earth? I mean, think of all the questions that would have been raised by these people. Um, They've already shown themselves not to be the greatest people sometimes. 
Um, we might say, Lord, isn't there a better way to do this? He's doing it this way to show that all the power comes from him. All the authority comes from him. And that should not only impress us with a sense of responsibility as a church, but it should be a great comfort to us. To know that as the church is doing its work in the world, we are on the king's business. We are on the king's business in this world. We go forth with all of his authority, with the backing of all of his power. That's the work of the church, to carry forward the business of the king in this world. No one in this world has the authority to countermand the authority of the church. No one in this world has the authority to count to power to countermand the orders of the king. Um, we are on the king's business in the world, and the king will see to it that his business is done. And those who try to hinder the business of the king will answer to the king for what they're doing. Um, that should give us great comfort as we think about our work in the world to go forth and to do this work, that we go forth with the backing of of our king, that he has given us the authority to go forward and do what he's called us to do, which is make disciples, right? Baptize people, go out and give believers and their children the sign of the covenant, that sign of covenant initiation, that they belong to the people of God, that they are set apart from the people of the world, and teach them what it means to be a disciple. Right? That's an essential part of what they're called to go out in the world and do. Make disciples by baptizing and by teaching them. And teaching them what? What does Jesus want his people taught? How does Jesus want disciples made? What did he say to the disciples? Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. Teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. We spend a lot of time on teaching and preaching in the church. And why? Because there's a lot to learn. Um, all is a lot. All that Jesus taught is a lot. And we want to make sure that we get it and that we get it right. Our commission is not a minimalistic commission. Um, sometimes, you know, someone might really ask us as we outline what our, what our purpose is and talk about the content of our faith over 15 and a half Lord's Days and say, you know, that's, that's, a, that's close to four months. You're going to take four months of Sundays to talk about the content of our faith, what is promised in the gospel. Um, we're going to take all that time to think about these things. Um, are all of those really salvation issues? Some people say, you know, why spend all this time on a, on a catechism or on the Apostles' Creed? Do we really need any creed but Jesus Christ? But we would want to come back and say, think about it, Christ's command. What does he want people taught? All that he has commanded them. We're not to try to seek to reduce things. That's not the business of the church. Right? Sometimes parachurch organizations can get together and say, we're just going to focus on the gospel, so we'll come together and we'll agree on the gospel. And that's the, that's the one thing we're going to agree on. And then we can work together even across some broader lines. The church can't do that. 
Because the church is commanded to teach all that God has commanded in his word. Um, We are called to do that, and that's why we take that work. It's not to limit our teaching to only a small range of topics, uh, but to want to understand everything that Jesus has taught. Um, Who wouldn't want to know everything that Jesus wants us to know? Um, And to treasure everything that he has to teach us. So we go forth with the king's authority to make disciples. That's the work of the church. And we should never forget that we go forward in this world in the king's company. He does not send us forth alone into the world. Uh, These 11 guys could know not only that they were going out with the authority of the Lord, but in the company of the Lord. That as they went out, the king went out with them. Behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. The church not only goes out to do the work of the king and has that responsibility and under that authority, but we go in his company. He doesn't leave us to do this alone. Uh, Reverend Tedrick and I had lunch with another minister and we were talking about all the various kinds of problems that you hear about and see in the church and we thought, you know, the, the only reason any of this works is because Jesus is with us. If it was just us, we'd have wrecked it a long time ago. Um, the whole reason the church is Catholic, universal, is because it's Christ church. It's because we go forth in the company of the king. Uh, he is the one who's with us that makes sure this works for us. And so the focus of our commission is always on him. And to listen to him. And to draw from him the fundamentals of our faith. So we don't want to minimize the teaching in the church. uh, But we need to learn the fundamentals. But there's a lot to learn, right? What is this all about? What is this book all about? We're going to have to have some kind of summary to help people understand what it's all about. To summarize things. We said that with the law. And we want to do that with the gospel as well. Someone asks us, so your responsibility is to go out and bring the good news of the kingdom of Christ. What is the good news? Can we answer that question? Right? If that's the thing, we should be able to answer that question. Right? What is, what is the gospel? How can we summarize the content of our faith? Well, we can use a biblical summary. Um, That's what we did last week, looking at John 20, 30, and 31. Um, That wonderful summary of the gospel that John gives us there, where John says, Now Jesus did many other signs in the presence of the disciples, which are not written in the book. But these are written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. That's a wonderful summary of the gospel. Um, But short summaries will also invite more questions, right? Someone who knows nothing about the Bible, who hears that, can hear it as a right summary of the gospel, but it will involve a lot of questions. Who is Jesus? What does it mean that he is the Christ? What does it mean that he is the Son of God? What does it mean to believe in him? What does it mean to have life in his name? 
I think maybe I've shared with you going and preaching at a rescue mission once, and I was, was encouraging the people to believe in the Lord and, and have eternal life. And one guy said to me, why would I want eternal life? I wouldn't want to live like this forever. My life is hard. And I realized I hadn't made it clear I wasn't talking about this kind of life. Right? And so we always have these moments where we recognize that more needs to be said. And so any summary needs to be further explained, whether it's a biblical summary or whether we try a theological summary. Zacharias Ursinus, one of the principal authors of the Heidelberg Catechism, offers this summary of the gospel. He says, It is the doctrine concerning Christ the mediator and the free remission of sins through faith. There too, that's an excellent summary of the gospel. Um, but you still need to answer some questions. Who is Christ? What does it mean that he's a mediator? What does it mean for me to have remission of sins? Why is it a free remission of sins? And why is it through faith? Right? No matter how we summarize these things, we are going to need to keep getting into them to explain further what they mean. And that's what we're doing with the Apostles' Creed. We're taking the Apostles' Creed and saying, here is a fine summary of what is promised to us in the gospel, and then taking the time to go through that creed and say, now how do we understand these things to represent to us all that Christ has taught us to believe in his word. Um, that's why we spend the time to go through it. Uh, so that we can understand the content of our faith and use the Apostles' Creed as a simple theological summary of what we believe the gospel promises to us. Because we can all learn that by repetition. Right? That's why we say it every day in our, in our worship services and so that we all continue to say it and that we continue to learn it. And we know we can hear the little ones in our church saying the Apostles' Creed with us. Right? And so, boys and girls, we love it when we can hear you reciting that with us. Because from a young age, you can learn that. You can learn the Lord's Prayer. You can learn the Apostles' Creed. And we love to hear the kids are doing that. So memorizing it is an important part of it. And then we talk about what does it mean. What are, we, what are we saying when we say all of those things? And that's what we want to do is to look at the, catechism, at the catechism and how it helps to explain to us the Apostles' Creed and think about the content of our faith so that we can learn it better, um, so that we can learn what it is that we are called to believe. And that's why we begin in question 24 by dividing these articles up and saying, how can we divide up the Apostles' Creed to helpfully understand it? Well, we can divide it this way, question 24 says, into three parts, God the Father and our creation, God the Son and our deliverance, God the Holy Spirit and our sanctification. This is a wonderful starting point for understanding what is the content of our faith. Where does our faith look? Our faith looks to who God is and what God does for us. That's where our faith looks, in a fundamental way, who God is and what God does for us. And that's where we see the foundation of our confession. We begin with that foundational principle. What is the foundation of our confession? God and what he does, that's the foundation of our confession. Uh, that very much helps us to get a starting point to say, what is the content of our faith? 
Where would we begin to talk about what is promised to us in the gospel? We get, begin by talking about who God is. Who is God? He is the one true and eternal God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Now that's what question 25 helps us to understand better. Since there is only one divine being, why do you speak of three? Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. The answer is because that is how God has revealed himself in his word. These three distinct persons are one true, eternal God. That's how God describes who he is. Uh, That's an important part of your confession. In my my former congregation, we met a man who had come to faith while he was in prison. And one of the difficulties was he had to rely on other prisoners to help him understand his faith. And so he was living in a cell with a Muslim. And, the, and when he began to say, I think I'm embracing the Christian faith, the Muslim said, you can't do that. You believe in three gods. There's only one God. And he said, I knew nothing. So I said, oh, I don't know. I don't think so, but I'll have to go find out. So he had to go try to find out from other Christians. And what did he find? Well, he found oneness Pentecostals, and he found Unitarians, and he found all sorts of people who really couldn't help him answer that question. Um, And mercifully, he found a Reformed brother who could help him understand the true doctrine of the Trinity, that God is one God in essence and exists in three persons. Uh, But that's fundamental to our confession. That's who our God is. Our God is one. That was the great uh, statement of Israel from Deuteronomy 6.4. Here are Israel, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. But that one God has revealed himself in the word in three distinct persons. Uh, that's foundational to the commission of the church to go in the world and help them understand that. Jesus says when you baptize, how are you to baptize? You're to baptize into the name The name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Why do we believe that? Why is that fundamental to our confession? Because it was fundamental to our Lord's commission. This is the name of your God. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. He is one God, in essence, eternally existing in three persons. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. We learn this from the Word. We confess it from the Word. Uh, Can we hope to fully understand it? No. Uh, How God is one in three and three in one, unity in Trinity and Trinity in unity, is a mystery beyond our ability to entirely understand. But we confess it because that's what our Lord has taught us. That's who our God is. The name of our God is is Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Uh, That's who God is. We confess that is who He is. And we're told it's important that you know who He is so you can also understand what He does for us. Um, It's not a mere theological truth that God is three in one. Now, I'm just as much a fan of theological truths as anybody. Um, But one of the wonderful things about the Lord's teaching and the teaching of the Word is these always have practical helps for the people of God. This is not just some lofty, head-in-the-clouds idea um, that, you know, pinheads at seminary thought of 
and thought it would be good to confuse us all with. Um, No, why does God reveal himself in this way? So we can understand something of what he does for us. We don't just confess that God is Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. We confess that Father, Son, and Holy Spirit each do something for the people of God. And what what are we reminded of as we examine the Apostles' Creed, as we draw from God's Word what the works of the Trinity are? We learn something about what God does for us. Not just who He is, but what He does for His people. Because we learn about God the Father and our creation. We're reminded that our God is a creator God. That even though he is existing in himself and perfectly complete in himself, he creates a world. It teaches us something about the Father being the source of everything that is. That he not only makes it, but maintains everything he's made and moves it towards the purpose for which he's made it. It tells us something about the Father. It tells us something about the Son. We learn about God the Father in our creation, and we learn about God the Son in our deliverance. That's the work particularly ascribed to the Son of God, the mediator and deliverer of his people. It teaches us something about who the Son is. It teaches us something about who the Holy Spirit is. God the Holy Spirit in our sanctification particular work ascribed to the Holy Spirit to set us apart and to make us holy, to conform us to the image of the Son. And notice how these articles serve not just to say who God is, but who God is for us. This summary connects us to that work. The Father is not just a creator, He's our creator. The Son is not just a deliverer, He is our deliverer. The Spirit is not just a sanctifier, He's our sanctifier. These become vitally connected truths to us. This is the connection we make in our confession when we say, I believe in God the Father. For me, there's a connection in all of these things to us. Um, And that's what The commission of Christ was to the world, not just in a general way to go out to all the world, but to go out to all the world so that this word would come to you. What what was the end that the commission would accomplish? To come to those who were called to Christ so that you would believe. Right? So that there would be individuals to say, I believe this. I've now heard and I believe. That's the end for which the commission went out into the world. So we can think of these broad global terms of going to the end of the world. But in a particular way, what did God want to make sure happened in the world? Why did Christ send the gospel into the world? So it would come to you. And so that you would make the confession. I believe. I believe in who God is. And I believe in what God does. I believe these things are mine. I believe this God is mine. And that his work is mine. I believe the good news. And that's what is fundamental to our faith. The good news that Christ has sent into the world. That God makes the good news a reality. 
and it becomes my good news by faith. And that the more we learn and understand, we understand that even that faith is his gift to us. I believe in the God who has made the good news a reality, who is a creator God and delivered this fallen world and sanctifies it again. That's the good news of who our God is. That's fundamental to our confession. Who God is and what God does for me. And I hope the more we do that, it will keep us from ever having the Apostles' Creed just roll unthinkingly off our tongues. It's a danger of repeating things, isn't it? That they become too common that we, we forget what a privilege it is to be able to say, I believe. I've understood that God is my Father. I've understood that the Son is my Savior. I've understood that the Spirit is my Sanctifier. I believe these things. I not only confess them with my mouth, but they live in my heart. That's a divine work. That's a work that God sent to the ends of the earth to communicate to you, right? So that you would believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God and that by believing, you would have life in his name. It's not just good news generally. It's good news for you and good news for me. And it's good news for any who will accept it by faith. It does not discriminate. It's a word for everyone. It's not culturally conditioned. It doesn't come to only a certain set of people. The commission is all nations. This will work for anyone. This will play for anyone that's been created a human being. All you need to be is a human being for this message to be for you. It's a message suited and fitted for the whole nations. It's not just good news for you and me. It's good news for anyone we take it to. It's good news for anyone who hears it. Anyone who hears it can say, oh, that's for me. That's one of the pleasures of doing the work of the church. You can never find someone who says, well, that can't be for me. Because you can say on the authority of the king, no, no, he sent this for you. It's for you. Believe it, and all of its promises are yours. It becomes good news for you. These 11 women did what they were called to do. They took it to the ends of the the earth, and something amazing happened. It turned the world upside down. It came to places like Santee, from that hill in Galilee, by the twists and turns of of history as God moved it. But it came, and it came to each one of us when we first heard it and first believed in it. And even if you've never heard it or believed in it till tonight, it's come to you through all of those things now that you might believe it. That you might join those people for whom this is a reality, to know who God is and what God has done, not just for the world, but for you. That this God who is revealed in the Apostles' Creed is your God. It still has the power to turn the world upside down. It's not a mere creed of the ancient church that you just blow the dust off every week and read. There's power 
Because there's power in God's word and there's power in the good news. There's power in the gospel. There's power in the God it represents. And there's always power in that message to hear that the God who has all authority in heaven and on earth loves you enough to speak that word to you and welcomes you into his family no matter who you are or where you've been. Um, That's the wonderful power of the gospel. We might think we go into the world with little. Um, Just the Great Commission. It's everything. It's life and death and glory. Uh, To know these things and to confess that they're true. And our prayer may continue to be that all people everywhere would hear the good news and say, I believe in God the Father, my creator. And I believe in God the Son, my deliverer. And I believe in God the Holy Spirit, my sanctifier, to his glory, now and forever. Amen. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you that in your mercy and your grace, the good news of of the kingdom of your Son has come to us and that many of us have put our faith and trust in that gospel to be saved. We pray that if there are any here who are hearing the gospel for the first time or have not meditated on the need to put their faith and trust in Jesus Christ, that you would move their hearts by the Spirit to do that, that they might know that it was your plan from the beginning of the foundation of the world to send this word to save sinners. And we know that we all need the message of this gospel. We all need to know who you are and what you've done for us. And when we come to understand it, Lord, how can we not just be amazed at your grace to sinners like us, that you would desire to have us be part of your family and that you would give your son to a cruel and shameful death on the cross to save sinners and that you would send your spirit abroad in power to sanctify us after the image of your son. Your goodness to us is so great, Lord, we thank you for it. We pray that it would continue to go forth in the world and that many might hear and be saved. Hear us, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.